Well, if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow along this morning, uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, looking at a passage where Paul talks about the relationship between children and parents. Now, right out of the gate, my concern in addressing this topic is that straight away half the room are going to think it's not really relevant for them. And so I just want to address that half the room and say, unless I'm missing something, all of us are children of someone. So it is partly relevant. Uh, and also, even if you are not a parent, uh, God's plan, God's design is for us to be in the church family and like it or not, you know other parents. And so uh, listen up anyway, partly to understand a bit of the challenge and the joy and the life of the people around you. Uh, And maybe so you can pray more specifically uh, for others in the room. Uh, And you never know, it may be relevant for you one day. But my biggest concern in addressing this topic is that straight away all the parents in the room are going to be thinking, please tell me how to get through this particular stage. Give me 10 top tips to revolutionize my parenting, to make me a better parent. All the kids are praying the same thing uh, as well. And, And all of this, there's a danger that you miss out on the fact that nothing in your life reveals your need of grace and mercy like parenting does. So just to set this whole thing up, the New Testament almost never addresses children and parents until, first of all, it addresses husbands and wives. In fact, it almost always builds it out like, here's what I want of the wife, and here's what I want of the husband, and only when you've completely grasped that are we going to be then ready to move on to talking to children and parents. It's as if the Bible's saying that your ability to parent well starts with a man who serves and loves and encourages his wife, laying down his life for her as she submits to that kind of loving care. Now the problem is, we don't live in a perfect world, do we? And so right away, we are in desperate need of the grace and mercy of God, because most, if not all of us, are not consistently that type of husband or that type of wife, and a number of us are going to be single parents or maybe in our second or third marriage, and so we don't live in a perfect world. We live in this fractured world where every single one of us has failed at times. And so really, even before we get into talking about children and parents, we are at a disadvantage because we've all messed up before we have even started. So I'm aware of all of that, and uh, Andy's prayed, and Adi's already prayed. I want to add my prayer to their prayers. We, we believe in prayer. I, I feel the need to ask for God's help, and I'm pretty sure you need God's help as well. So, Heavenly Father, I want to pray that wherever this message is going to land for each of us in the room, would you give us ears to hear, 
Do you soften our hearts to be able to receive your word? Uh, I want to pray that where people are already feeling like they've failed, where people could easily feel condemned or guilty, uh, I want to pray you would come with grace today. Uh, I want to pray for those who they hear talk of this subject and it's met with weariness and frustration and disappointment, maybe even despair. Father, would you come with mercy? Would you come with wisdom you come and bring faith to us and hope to us? I want to pray whatever our situation, whatever our context, would you speak, would you challenge, would you encourage us? For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. So let's get into it. Colossians 3, going to pick it up in verse 20. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. And then I want to quickly flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul just elaborates on this a bit more. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on the earth. Now, I want to follow Paul's example here. And I want to, first of all, address all the children in the room. Now, to do that, for the sake of clarity, uh, I guess I do need to define who the children are. Some of you, you may beg to differ on this, but really, I don't care how old you are, if you still live with your mum or your dad, for the purpose of this talk, you are still a child. If you live uh, with your parents and they're still paying your bills, you are still a child for the purposes of this talk. And in both passages, Paul says that children should obey their parents. Some of you are immediately thinking, why? Well, because according to Colossians, this pleases the Lord. And according to Ephesians, this is the right thing to do. In other words, this is how God has designed the whole thing to work and to work well. Now, you may not be able to see this quite yet, but as you grow older, you will realize that this teaching here is actually the kindness of God. You see, when you're young, you tend to think you know everything, and you really don't. It's like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but from the moment they can start moving by themselves, kids seem to be attracted to anything and everything that can do them serious harm. I mean, you can lay out all of their toys on the floor, and what they really want is the bleach. They, they can go to any other cupboard in the entire house, but they're always going to make a beeline for the one containing dangerous chemicals. Now, I'm aware this isn't going to win me a whole lot of friends with the children in the room, but you, regardless of what you think, don't know everything yet, even though perhaps you think you do. And that right there is a pretty dangerous combination. I once heard someone say, I'm not young enough to know everything. That's the truth. The younger you are, the smarter you think you are. 
It's like you've got the whole world figured out. You're frustrated while other people can't see it quite the same way as you do. But the older you get, the more you grow to realize how much you really don't know. And so I think there's this arrogance that comes with youth, which is why I think God's design is for you to be put in the care of your parents to help save you from a lot of the mess you would otherwise get yourselves into. You know, when I was a teenager, not too long ago, I had no idea why I had to be home by this time and couldn't stay out later. I had no clue that that didn't even make sense to me. Why do I have to come home at 11.30 or 12? Why not three or four? I mean, what could possibly happen? And bless my parents' hearts, I came out of the womb willing to debate. I mean, I could just argue at length about this. And they're trying to explain that bad things can happen. I go, don't be stupid. I mean, who do you take me for? Don't you trust me? I mean, what could possibly happen to me? And then I'd have this whole kind of fail-proof set of reasons that I'd rehearsed for hours beforehand why those things won't happen to me. I mean, all we're doing is going over here. I mean, it's fine. These people will be there. Uh, And you don't need to worry because Ian's bringing his air rifle with him. No, 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 no. You're, You're not listening to me. What could possibly go wrong? And it sounded so compelling and so convincing and so brilliant and so foolproof to me. And all the time, my parents were like, no, 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 no. This is how it happens, and this is when. And so the scriptures are saying, obey your parents, because this is right. And I know some of you children already go, "Uh, uh, you don't know my parents. My parents are ridiculous. Well, first of all, you're assuming that mine weren't. And secondly, I want you to try and just imagine for a moment what it'd be like if other creatures rebelled like our children do. For example, if this isn't too way out there, I want you to think of the antelope on the plains in Africa. Yeah, sorry about that one. Um, (laughs) The only picture I could find. Uh, Think of the antelope. There is a purpose. We we will get there. Think of the antelope on the plains in Africa just going, forget you, mum, and you're you're trying to spoil my fun. I'm way faster than the leopard. And so the antelope runs up to the leopard and starts taunting it, giving it a bit of abuse, rather than listening to its parents saying, this is when we run! No, no, not me. I've got this one covered. They're like, no, leopards have been killing us since the beginning of time. You might get away the first time. You might, even if you're lucky, get away the second time. But eventually, he eats you while David Attenborough films the whole thing for everyone to see in Ultra HD. I mean, can you imagine what the creative order would be like if other animals' children rebelled against their parents like humanity does? Now, you ever just stop for a moment to wonder why it happens? I'll tell you why. It's because of sin, the Bible tells us that children, every single child, all children, are born with a natural 
bent towards rebellion. If you are a parent in the room right now with children, you absolutely know this to be true. I mean, you have to train a child to be obedient, don't you? You never have to train your child to be disobedient. They kind of automatically know how to do that one, which is why Paul has to write to children way back in the first century, telling them to always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord, and this is the right thing to do. And why, for all of our apparent progress over the centuries, this teaching is just as relevant today. Now, all that being said, just to clarify, there does come a time when you don't have to obey your parents. I know some of you, you've had very painful upbringings. A number of you, you come from incredibly abusive backgrounds. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not at all suggesting children have to meekly obey when they're being asked to do things that are wrong or harmful. Bad parents who might be asking you to do wrong things need to be disobeyed because they are bad. And even with good parents, eventually you need to stop obeying them because you need to grow up. At which point I can suddenly see all of the children in the room starting to pay a little more attention. Hear this, as you get older, you do not have to obey all of the rules. And by older, I mean you move out of the house, get a job and pay your own bills. (laughs) Hooray, all the parents are cheering. Round of applause. That doesn't happen often. I've used that line again sometime. If you, children, if you pay your own bills, then I don't think you have to listen quite so much to your parents saying, well, I don't think you should do that. I think you should do this. Once you are out of the house, you don't have to submit to all of their rules. But even then, the one thing you must always do is still honour them, regardless of whether they're right or wrong. Now, because most people in the room are adult children, let me just make sure you understand the honour principle. If your parents really disappointed you, and if you're being honest in your heart of hearts, you hate them, or if they are so important to you, and you are still dependent on them for approval, so you are still pretty much obeying them in everything, you are not hitting the right balance here. You're supposed to honour them, not always obey them. You're supposed to honour them, not hate them. Let me tell you why. First of all, if you ever have children of your own, If they don't see you at least showing respect to your parents, they're going to have trouble in dealing with you when they grow up. Secondly, your own conscience is going to bother you and gnaw away at you if you remain angry with them. And anyway, if you stay mad at them, they are effectively still exerting control over you. So you're the one who is getting harmed in the process. And thirdly, if you ever get married and you are still dependent on your parents, 
then your marriage is always going to be undermined. The Bible says you're supposed to leave your father and mother and cleave to your partner. Now in reality, there are a whole range of different ways in which you can go about honouring your parents. Also aware, we've got people in the room from a wide range of different cultures with different expectations attached to them. At the end of the day, you've got to find culturally appropriate ways to care for your parents and make them feel respected, even if it's inconvenient, even if you'd rather not. So that's advice for children. What about all the parents in the room? Well, the children will be pleased to hear, Paul certainly doesn't let you off the hook either. In Colossians 3 verse 21, Paul says, fathers do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. And he elaborates further in Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, just to say, this advice holds true for both parents, for fathers and mothers. But you'll have noticed that Paul specifically addresses this to fathers. You see, fathers are given by God the ultimate authority, the ultimate responsibility in the family unit. And so if you're a dad here, I want to appeal to you specifically not to shirk the responsibility that God has given you for your children's upbringing. However, I'm also aware that family life can very often be a little more complicated than that. And I just want to flag up right now that I've got massive, massive respect for all the single mums that we have in the church here. All that being said... Let's look at the specific instructions that Paul gives in these passages. First of all, parents, we're not to aggravate our children and we're not to provoke them to anger. Now, just to be straight, children are not going to like all of the rules and they are, from time to time, going to rebel against them. Already seen that they can be pretty daft at times, so they're not going to get it or understand it all of the time. And so I think, don't think this is saying, whatever you do, don't ever do anything that could remotely make your children angry. He's not saying that. Because there are times that your children are going to be angry. The text is saying, don't try to make them angry. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't take things personally to the point where you aggressively attack your children and try to lay burdens on them that they're going to be unable to carry. Don't cause them to become frustrated with the authority over them in a way that honestly isn't biblical. And I'll say this just because we do a tremendous amount of work with students and 20-somethings in the church who are in some way damaged by their upbringing, specifically you dads, please watch your mouth. And I'm not primarily talking about bad language. No, watch your mouth 
towards your sons and definitely watch your mouth towards your daughters. I cannot stress how powerful your words are when it comes to your children. They can absolutely instill in your daughter self-confidence and safety in a man who will treat her, encourage her and love her well. Or you can teach her that she is worthless and that what she deserves is to be demeaned her entire life. Your goal is to nurture and love and encourage and build up your children with your mouth. You need to speak life and blessing into your children and not use your tongue to wound or discourage them because it has lasting effects. Lost count. The numbers of times I try to help people pastorally who can still remember instances and times when a father or a mother was spiteful or mocking with their tongue. And that proved to be a shaping moment for them even decades later. Now, before we go any further, we just pause for a moment and say this. If you remember, I began by saying that my concern in all of this was that you'd go, oh, I need to get better at this, I need to get better at that, and you'd miss out on the fact that whenever you fail as a parent, ultimately it's a reminder of your need for the grace and mercy of God extended to you in Jesus Christ. And so, by all means, be challenged. And please do try and put some of this stuff into practice, but please don't walk away from here feeling condemned and like in some way you have failed as a parent. Every parent in the room has a huge catalogue of stories of where they've messed up. There are no perfect parents here. Everyone who's ever tried to parent children is acutely aware of their need for the grace of God. And the good news is that God's grace is freely available to you. It's more than able to cover over your shortcomings. And so as we saw the other week, please don't give up. Don't run from God when you feel like you have messed up in some way. No, run to him and find the grace you need to persevere. So we're not to provoke our children to anger by the way we treat them. But secondly, we're to bring them up, Paul says. Now, this idea of bringing them up is the whole idea of nurturing and caring and looking at who they are and beginning to try to shape them into who God created them to be. And just by way of an aside, it's certainly not encouraging them in sinful behavior or rebellion. You know, I've seen families that think it's really cute or absolutely hilarious when their three-year-old says, you shut up to another kid or to another adult. That is not cute and that is not funny at all. We, we, we mustn't nurture rebellion. We're to nurture them and bring them up, Paul tells us, with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I want to get a little practical, just say a few things about discipline. 
First of all, discipline must be consistent. I think everybody knows this, and pretty much everybody fails at this. I mean, honestly, time, is there anyone in the room who is 100% consistent? Absolutely no one. At the end of the day, consistency means that your children understand this is what's acceptable and this is not what's acceptable. That this is how this is rewarded and this is how this is punished. I think all of this goes back to methodology. What is your plan when it comes to discipline? You see, if you don't have a plan, if you haven't thought it through in advance, then your kids are always going to be confused. Because sometimes when you're tired and when you're grumpy, this is going to end up like this. And when you're not tired and grumpy, this is going to end up getting this instead. And they're going to be very confused at what on earth they're supposed to do and what they can expect when they do it. And so consistency always comes back to methodology. What's your plan? What are the rules you're going to have in your home? What are the principles that you want to shape your family life? And I think there is flexibility in those principles. I mean, one of the principles in our home is just fun. Now, our kids aren't here. If they were, they may beg to differ. But despite all the discipline and the rules, occasionally we want to laugh. We want to have a little bit of fun every now and again. We want to actually enjoy one another. But in the end, through it all, be consistent. I also think discipline has to be age-appropriate. And you're going to have to wrestle with that one. By all means, chat with other parents who maybe are slightly further on than you, but you need to work out what it looks like for your children at the stage they are currently at. And it goes without saying that discipline should always fit with the biblical principles of fairness and justice. The punishment has to fit the crime. Listen, if you are overbearing in your discipline... Or, or if you haven't allowed God's grace to sink deeply into you and you take every minor disobedience as a savage personal attack on yourself, then I think you're going to end up crushing your children. I think you've got to have punishments that fit what actually occurred. And discipline should also be child-specific. Now let me just try and illustrate what I mean by that. As many of you know, I've got two sons, but they've got very, very different temperaments. And so, when they were younger, if I even slightly raised my voice with one of them, I'm not going to say which one's which, I don't want you trying to guess which one's which, which is now what all of you are doing, but never mind. If I even slightly raised my voice with one of them, their lower lip would instantly start quivering they would immediately burst into tears and be absolutely distraught the other one would react the complete opposite their lower lip would stick out defiantly like they were up for a fight and so it required slightly more firmness with that one to get the message home and so, do you see what I mean about it having to be child-specific? You, you have to figure out, how does this child handle this? And try and engage that child's heart 
and not just the outward behavior. And you might have to do it differently between your other kids. And nothing will be more confusing to your children than that. Well, why does he? Well, why does she? Well, because he's not you and because you are not him. Yes, be consistent, but discipline should be child specific. Next, discipline has to be administered in love and not in anger. Now, this is a hard one. Because let's be honest, most of us, actually probably all of us, are reactionary. But I do think there are some things you can do that will in some way help you with this one. Like, for example, I used to tell myself out loud that my day isn't yet over as I drove home from work. Now, I trained myself to think that my job isn't yet done, that my job when I get home entails me getting on the floor, loving and engaging my children, serving and helping my wife. And my time only begins when the kids are in bed. Now, that works when they're younger, when they're older. That doesn't work at all because you never have any time for yourself. I'm talking primarily when your kids are younger. Now, if you can train yourself to think that way, then my guess is you won't react quite so much. Because if you have this expectation in your head that you're walking into peace when nine times out of ten you are really not, then you're going to get home and become ever so slightly agitated because you have in your head that dinner will be all prepared with soft music playing in the background. You're going to eat and then you're going to watch Sky Sports for the rest of the evening. And instead, you walk into your entire CD collection strewn over the living room floor Your wife forgot to buy anything for dinner and she's yelling at the youngest for eating the goldfish. And you start to go, well, I'm only just slightly overreacting here. I mean, it's slightly funny, really. I mean, it's just a goldfish because you don't know. You don't know that your kids have been raiding the cupboard with bleach in it all day long and driven your wife to the point of absolute despair. And so you're completely blissfully oblivious to all of that. And so now you and your wife are fighting. And all of a sudden, your son rides in on his tricycle and crushes your toe. And then what happens? Now, you've calmly told them not to have the tricycle in the house dozens of times before. But now, your ideal of this peaceful eat dinner, sit on the couch, watch the game, maybe read a book and then go to bed, is replaced with CDs all over the living floor, your toe missing a toenail, and in the moment you react. And so I think you prepare your mind for that moment by resolving ahead of time, no, my job is to come in and shape, mould, discipline and love. And that's a conversation you have to have with yourself when you get up in the morning It's a conversation you have to have with yourself on the journey home. It's a conversation you have to have with yourself on Saturday and Sunday mornings when you get up. I want to appeal to you, don't be a lazy parent and don't merely be reactionary with your discipline because ultimately discipline needs to be 
forward thinking. Here's what I mean by that. Good behavior in the supermarket or on a Sunday morning, although it's extremely nice, isn't our end goal. Adequate social functioning, impossible as even that might seem at times, isn't the end goal of parenting. The end goal of Christian parents, by the grace of God, is hearts and minds that are inclined to love God and one day serve him and ultimately follow him. Which means that discipline always has a goal of godliness and not just behavior today. Now, this is relevant for everyone in the room, parents and non-parents alike. You see, all of us are cultivating something in our lives. And so the Jonathan Bell, that is standing in front of you right now, didn't just happen today. The Jonathan Bell that is standing before you today is 45 years in the making. There have been decades of trying to pursue and chase and submit my life to the Lord. There have been peaks and there have been valleys. There have been seasons of great hunger and desire and seasons of rebellion and foolishness. It's been years and years and years of being corrected. A lot of having the Holy Spirit convicting me. A lot of reading and study and learning and desperately trying to live it out in practice. A lot of the time not getting it right. So my question to all of you regardless of your circumstance right now, would be this. What are you cultivating? As singles, as young unmarried or older unmarried or as married without children, what are you cultivating in your life that's going to lead you to be more sanctified, more godly, a more spiritually mature version of yourself than you are right now? So that if one day God maybe blesses you with children, your heart, and your mind, and your spirit will be more tuned into the grace and mercy of God that will then enable you to be a better parent. And if you're never a parent, you'll still be someone who'll be able to inspire and encourage and come alongside and disciple others so that you will still have the joy of seeing many sons and daughters in the faith growing to maturity. So let me ask you, What are you doing now in regards to the growth of your own spiritual health? Because decisions you're making today are determining what kind of person you will be tomorrow. And if you're a parent, what are you doing to help cultivate in your children love for God? Now I know that for those who are parents, this talk inevitably is going to land differently for each one of you. I'm aware that some of you are not in ideal situations. Some of you, you're single parents. Some of you, you're empty nesters who think you're done with all of this. I just want to address you if that is you. I want you to know you are not quite finished yet. And I'm not merely talking about grandchildren if they ever appear one day. No, you also have a crucial role in the church family to encourage 
and speak life into younger men and women who are young in their marriage, young in their raising of children. Speak life into them where maybe their peers are unable or unwilling or feel like they don't know enough to say anything. I want you to know If you have gone through the whole process, your kids are now in the process of leaving home or have left home, you've got a vital role in the church to engage and to love and encourage those who are younger than you. But at the end of the day, all of this continues to come back to our need for God's grace, our desperate need for God's mercy, our need for the cross of Christ in our lives. And so I want to keep on pulling you back to this. There are going to be times regularly every day where you're going to fail at this. Because the bottom line is we live in a fallen, sinful world. And so as we draw to a close, wherever you're at with your parenting, my prayer for you is that you would press into the mercy and grace of God as you fail this week with your children. Might you be reminded that you have a saviour who loves you, not because of you, but because of the cross. And may you not leave here today simply going, okay, I want to try really hard to be a better parent. But may you leave here today keenly aware of God's affection for you. and Keenly aware of God's mercy and grace shown to you as a loving father who disciplines those he loves but always for their good and never out of wrath.